Thank you for listening to the All Souls Church Sermon Podcast. We are a counterformational community devoted to following Jesus together in real life. For more information, go to allsouls.church. Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, today in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we come by the power of your Spirit to open up your word, that we might hear from you, O oh God. Speak to us, Lord. I pray that every person here would hear your voice in the scriptures. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Deliver us from the evil one who seeks to snatch the word from us. Come now, Lord. Come now, Holy Spirit, upon the preaching of the word. Hide me behind the cross that we might all see Jesus. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God Almighty. And all God's people said, amen. All right. Good morning. Uh, welcome to All Souls Church. Uh, my name is Harvey, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to preach here today. But if you're new to our church or visiting, you should know that we're kind of in a restart situation, and we're kind of relaunching, restarting this church. So you are part of that uh, if you're visiting here, and thank you for being here today. Uh, we are in the middle of a series uh, called Doctrines for All Souls. And what we're doing is we, we're kind of moving through the entire book of Matthew, and we're camping out in different sections of Matthew. This section kind of goes through the major doctrines of the Christian faith, actually. And so we've been looking at all these different major doctrines, like that we're right with God by faith alone, and grace alone, and that kind of a thing. Uh, today is the doctrine of Christ alone. So if you want to know what Christianity is all about, it's all about Christ. Christ the, J, Jesus is the center of Christianity. It's all about Jesus. Now, of course, uh, we know that in church that it becomes about lots of other things. But what it's supposed to be is about Jesus and the glory of Jesus and the power of Jesus. And then we're worshipers of Jesus and we're followers of Jesus. But it should be always about our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, Christ alone is kind of the idea that we're covering today. <clears throat> so let me ask you a question. Uh, what are you doing to, say, to stay centered on God in the midst of the chaos of life? Especially in the midst of the chaos of the last couple of years, everything going on in our country, the pandemic, um, people have been at their worst, as you know, uh, there's all this tension and weirdness. What are you doing to keep yourself centered on God in the midst of that? Not to mention the troubles that we all have in our life, the frustrations, uh, all of the things that we face day to day. What are you doing to stay centered on God? And what do you do when God seems confusing and when God seems distant? What do you do when God seems confusing and distant? I don't know about you, but I go through those phases where God seems very confusing to me and very distant to me. I know that he's not. Theologically, I know that he never is distant, that he's always there. But there are these experiences that we go through. And so what, what do we do with that? Um, and that's what's going on in this section of Matthew. The disciples are a bit confused about uh, what Jesus is up to. You know, they've been following him. He's doing all these miracles. There's all these powerful things that are happening uh, in his ministry, and then suddenly um, he starts talking about, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die like a criminal. And they're going, wait a minute, what, what's this all about? I thought 
we were, uh, we were going to take over the world, Jesus. You were going to lead us to taking over the world. And now you're talking about dying like a criminal. So uh, the disciples were really confused. On one day, Peter confesses, you know, that Jesus is the son of the living God. We saw that a few weeks ago. And then the very, you know, very uh, few minutes later, he's telling Jesus, don't go to the cross. And so Peter is confused, the disciples are confused, and we, always fa- we also face a lot of disorientation in our own faith, where we get confused, we get frustrated, God seems distant. And what happens during those periods of time is we start searching for answers. And we get frustrated because we don't have the answers that we want. And what it does is it actually presses us into having to have faith when we don't have all the answers. So... Uh, one thing that I would say to you today is this. The, the main thing that you need, the main thing that I need, is a vision of Jesus Christ and his glory and his power that captivates you. You need to understand, we need to understand who he is in his reality, and that must captivate us. Because we're not always going to have all the answers that we want. We're going to face times of disorientation. We're going to face times of frustration. We're going to face times where God seems distant. So what will keep us? What will keep us strong with God? What will keep us moving forward with God? What will keep us uh, pursuing God? And the only thing that I know is that is you have to get a vision of Jesus Christ and his reality and who he is and know him personally. And when you have that, then other things begin to make sense, but also that will help you press through the times that seem confusing, that seem frustrating, when it seems like God is distant and he's not there. And so sometimes what we think we need is answers. Lord, give me the answers. Why this? Why that? How come these things are happening? How, you know, there are things that we disagree with God about, and we want answers about those things. And God does not feel like he needs to give us all the answers that we want. You know, we are on a need-to-know basis with God. He tells us what we need to know, not everything that we want to know. There's a passage in Deuteronomy that says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children. So what God gives us is what is revealed in the text, what is revealed in the scriptures, how he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. That is what God gives us. And sometimes what we want is, I want answers. I want everything to work out. And he says, no, look at Jesus. You don't get answers. You need wonder. Sometimes you think you need answers, but what you really need is wonder. You need to be captivated by Jesus Christ. And that's really what this text is all about. It's recapturing that wonder for us. Um, I could tell you in my own personal story, what captivated me, what made me want to follow Christ, what made me want to be a Christian... It wasn't, it wasn't that I wanted to clean my life up. It wasn't what, that I wanted to be a good person. It wasn't that, you know, I had some kind of other pressure that is pushing me in that direction. What happened was, as I kind of hit the bottom in my life, I hit a, a, a really intense rough spot, and I opened up the Bible. And I began to read about Jesus. And then I heard some preaching about Jesus. And then I listened to the radio hearing preachers talk about Jesus. And I read for myself what Jesus said and what he did. And what called me, what captured me was the glory of Jesus, was the power of Jesus. It was not all these other things. 
It was not, I just want to be a good person or I want a little religion in my life. It was Jesus Christ himself. The, a vision of his glory, a vision of his power that captured me. And that's what captured me originally. And that's what keeps me going day after day. When we talk about going through a pandemic, we talk about the last year and a half in our church, we talk about conflicts. What keeps us going? It must be a vision of Jesus as he actually is. It must be a vision of Jesus that captures us and pulls us along in the midst of all of life's sufferings. So how do we get a vision of Jesus? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. I could tell you when I decided to marry Rachel, I had kind of had this discovery that it's all about the glory of Jesus. But Rachel and I were talking. She was in, in college in Missouri. I was living in Reno, Nevada. I was going to Bible college and I had doing youth ministry and started a Bible study that eventually became a church that I started. And I was talking to her on the phone and I really liked her and we got along really well. But, uh, and I thought, this might be the girl I want to marry. This might be the girl I want to pursue. But here's the thing that changed, the, 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 the moment where I was like, yes, that's it. She's it. She's the one. She was in uh, college, and she went to some kind of uh, worship night where a guy got up and spoke about the glory of God. And he spoke, spoke about how God is powerful and glorious. And whether, uh, you know, it's not just about what he gives us and what he does for us, but it's about who he is in his perfection, in his beauty. So she heard this and she called me and she said, I think I get it. It's all about Jesus and his glory. It's all about God. It's not about all this other stuff, all this religion, all these things that we attach to it, but it's about God. And when she said that, I said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. Because that's what had captured my life, is a vision of God. So how do we get a vision of God? We have to see him. How do we see him? We see him with our ears. We see him with our ears. That's my main point today. We see Christ with our ears. We, we read the text. We hear preaching. And with a spirit-filled imagination, we capture a vision of who God is as the word is preached. It awakens us. And we see who Jesus is in his power and his glory and, and then we're drawn to him. We're drawn to worship. And when we're drawn to worship, all of these other components of the Christian life begin to make a lot more sense when he is at the center of it all. All right, so let's, let's now take a look at this text and, and let's see how we see Christ with our ears. All right, so verse um, Matthew chapter 16, and verse 28. Jesus says this, Truly I say to you. Now Jesus would often do this. When he was preaching, he would, he would uh, the word truly is actually the word amen in Greek. So, you know, usually we say amen, which y'all can do sometimes. If I say something good, feel free, okay? But usually we say amen after a proclamation of truth. We say amen. Another way of saying that's true. Well, Jesus is so legit that he amens himself before he says something. He says, amen, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So he's talking about the disciples, uh, the apostles. 
And he says, some of you here are going to see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. In other words, you're going to see me not just in my humanity as you have seen me, but you're going to see me in my kingdom. You're going to see me in my power and my glory. And that's what he knew the disciples would need to continue to do the work that they were going to be called to do after his resurrection. They needed a vision of his beauty. They need a vision of his glory. And that's what you need. You think you need answers. You need wonder. You need a vision of his power. You need a vision of his glory and his goodness. That is the only thing that will sustain you in the walk of the Christian life. It's just too hard otherwise if you don't have a vision of who he is and his beauty. All right, so they're about to see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So it says this, And after six days, 17 verse 1, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So after six days, after saying you're gonna, some of you are going to see the, the kingdom, he takes three of the disciples and he pulls them aside. Now, by the way, this pattern of Jesus is actually a good pattern for our lives when we think about church community. We know that Jesus had uh, hundreds, thousands of disciples and followers all over the place. But then he had 12 disciples that, that were walking with him, stuck with him, that he spent three years with that he discipled, he poured into. So he had hundreds, and then he had 12. And then within the 12, he had three, Peter, James, and John. That was his closest inner circle. And that's actually a decent pattern for you as you think about church community. Uh, you're part of the larger community, but you also need that smaller connection or community, which we're trying to provide options after church with catechism and the different things that we're doing. And then you need a tight, tighter group of people that you organically connect with and that become kind of your inner circle spiritually. Well, this is even how Jesus operated as well, but it's also how he passed on the faith. He took on these three guys and, and spent even more time with these three guys. And so he takes them up on a high mountain. Now, it's not inconsequential that they go up on a high mountain. Lots of things in the Bible happen on high mountains. In fact, if you just do a study of mountains in the Bible, you'll find all kinds of interesting things about how God speaks to people on mountains, but also how people worship false gods on mountains. But here, we, we, but so for example, Mount Sinai, God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. Mount Carmel, God shows up with his power with Elijah. Uh, Jesus preaches a sermon on the mount. Um, the, and then here we're going to have the Mount of Transfiguration. So they go up on this high mountain, and the thinking was, you know, we get up on a high mountain where God is. God is closer there, and, uh, so, and people would do that to go and pray. And so they get up on the high mountain, and, uh, and Jesus begins to reveal himself to them. Look at verse 2. He was transfigured before them. In other words, they saw him as a human being just like the other human beings in this room. Day in and day out, they walked with him, talked with him. They saw him do miracles, but he always was just uh, doing those miracles as a human. Uh, in, in other words, there was, nobody would go, oh, that's God. But here in this moment, Jesus transfigures. His glory it comes out. It's kind of like, you know, uh, Clark Kent you know, opens up the shirt, and you see the S on his chest? Well, this is a little flash of the S on his chest, showing who he really is to the disciples. Now, why is Jesus doing this? 
He's doing it for the disciples' benefit, so they have a vision of his beauty and glory, but he's doing it for our benefit too, that we have a vision of his beauty and glory as well, so that we're not confused and just think, oh, he was just a man. But this is actually God, God the Son uh, with them. So he transfigures. So think of a transfiguration. It's actually the Greek word metamorpho or something like that, where we get our English word metamorphosis. So think of a, a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. In the same way, Jesus opens up and shows that glory off in this moment. He's transformed before them. Look what it says. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes become white as light. So have you ever looked directly at the sun? And when you do, you can't look very long, right? You shouldn't look very long. Uh, But you you look and you just got to look away. And after you look away, you close your eyes and there's like that, you know, that light that's still there. You guys know what I'm talking about? It was from just the brightness of looking at the sun. Well, Jesus' face is doing that. It's kind of like Jesus pulled back and revealed and the glory came out of his face and it was shining bright like the sun with great power. Why is Jesus revealing this to them? Why is Jesus revealing this to us? So that we can have a vision of who he is. A vision of his power and his goodness and his glory. And then it says his, his clothes became white as light. It's a picture of wisdom. It's a picture of purity. So it's kind of like this full, he looks like a human being and then he pulls it back in this, this vision of beauty and purity and goodness and power. So much power that probably like the sun you have to turn your face away. And there he is with the disciples and they see this vision of Jesus as he's coming in his kingdom. This is a very unique story. It's not like Jesus did this very often. He did this this time. And he wants us to see who he is in his power and his glory and that that is what changes us. So we can't see him like they did, but we can see him with our ears. And that's actually the way that we're supposed to see him, as we're going to see in just a minute. All right, so look at verse 3. And behold, there appeared with him Moses and Elijah talking with him. So uh, there's this powerful glory in Jesus, and then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up. Now why a Moses and Elijah? Moses uh, somehow appeared from heaven. He died. We know that. We could read that in the Bible. Elijah actually did not die. He was taken up into heaven, one of the most unique stories in the Bible. He was just taken straight up into heaven. And here they are meeting with Jesus. But it's not just two Bible figures meeting with Jesus. Moses represents something. He's not only the great leader of the Old Testament, the great prophet of the Old Testament. He wrote the first five books of the Bible that set the tone of the whole Bible. And he's also a representative of salvation. He's the one that led them out of Egypt, led them out of slavery. But he also represents God's law because he's the lawgiver. Moses is the lawgiver. And so Moses represents God's law. Elijah represents the prophets. The prophets were the ones that were kind of like the divine prosecutors. In other words, Moses gives the law, Israel breaks the law, the prophets would come along and and kind of function as the prosecutors to draw people to repentance, to teach them about who God was. So in other words, one way that we often will summarize the Old Testament, and even the Bible summarizes the Old Testament, is this. It's the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. So 
Moses and Elijah appearing is another way of saying all the law and the prophets are here bowing before Jesus. The whole Old Testament is about Jesus. Moses and Elijah were telling you about Jesus. If you read Moses, he's always talking about this prophet who's coming, this Savior who is coming. And when you read the prophets, they're always talking about this future coming king that will come and bring God's salvation and reconcile us to God and forgive our sins. And so now we have the two that represent the law and the prophets standing there talking to Jesus. And the implication is they had a long conversation. And the disciples, who would write the New Testament, by the way, are listening in. You think that formed the way they wrote the New Testament? To hear this conversation between Jesus and the representative of the law, representative of the prophets? And so they're listening in on this conversation and this vision of glory and seeing who Jesus really is, that he's not just an average guy, but he is the answer to the whole Old Testament. He is the God of power. He is the God of glory. Now look at verse 4. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, if you've been following with us, Peter's always speaking up, right? And every time Peter speaks up, he usually says the wrong thing. Now, the, uh, a couple weeks ago, we saw he said the exact right thing about Jesus, that he is the son of the living God. But then the next week, he's telling Jesus, I mean, the next hour, he's telling Jesus, don't go to the cross. And we see all throughout that Peter just keeps speaking up, uh, firing off, jumping to conclusions. And the, what we're supposed to look at is we're not supposed to look at that and go, man, Peter's an idiot. We're supposed to look at it and go, oh, Peter's me. I'm always jumping to conclusions. I, I'm always telling God what to do. I'm always disagreeing with God about what he's doing. Uh, Peter just kind of represents us. And here he completely messes it up. He says, hey, Jesus, here's what we'll do. Because he's already told Jesus, I don't want you to go to the cross. Instead of going to the cross, what if we just set up worship right here on this mountain? Uh, the three of you will get, we'll get a tabernacle for you, Jesus, because you're obviously the most important. We'll get a tabernacle for Moses, and we'll get a tabernacle for Elijah, and people can come up on this mountain and, and worship and talk to you guys. And it's going to be great. Uh, Peter is talking out of turn, and he also has really bad theology. He doesn't understand what this whole thing is representing. It's, it's not saying that there are like three kind of demigods, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. What it's trying to tell us is that Moses and Elijah told us everything about Jesus, that Jesus is the point. Jesus only is the point. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the point. So, Peter doesn't get it at all. He still thinks it's about you know, all of us together. Puts his foot in his mouth. Peter is Mr. Positive, actually. He's always trying to spin things in a positive way. He's Mr. Know-it-all, and he's Mr. Jump to Conclusions. So here he is talking out of turn once again, and I love this. Verse 5. He was still speaking. That's Peter was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. So it's almost as if God was like, shut up, Peter. And a bright cloud just comes and overshadows them. Now remember, when he says, shut up, Peter, he's kind of saying, shut up to us. You need to stop talking. You need to start looking. You need to start listening. This moment is about power and glory. This moment is about who Jesus is. It's not about you, Peter. And your theology is all off, Peter. It's time for you to be quiet. 
time for you to listen. So while he was still speaking, this bright cloud overshadows them. Now, I said something about mountains, like if you studied mountains, you'd find all kinds of interesting things in the Bible. Same with clouds. Not that I think any of you are going to go study clouds after this. But if you study clouds throughout the Bible, what you would find is that clouds are not just always clouds in the sky, but sometimes clouds are the clouds of God's glory. In fact, it's called God's Shekinah glory. Let me hear you say Shekinah. Shekinah glory is God's uh, glory that outshines from him, his power, his glory. Uh, it's, uh, glory is kind of the outshining of something's perfection. So there's light shining on me. There's a source. There's an outshining. That's the glory of the light. The glory of God is the outshining of who Jesus is in all of his perfections. Okay, so that glory is shining out to them now. And that glory has come upon them in the cloud. And this is what God the Father says from the midst of the cloud as Peter's putting his foot in his mouth and is talking. It says this. A voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So he, right in the midst of saying, Hey, the three of them, God says, No, this is my beloved Son. Moses and Elijah are here to tell you about him. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. This is God's son. This is the point. The whole of Christianity centers on him. Not what we do. It's not even our gathering. It's him. We gather to get around him. And this is what God is saying. It's all about him. The son. My son whom I'm well pleased. God is pleased with Jesus. Because Jesus did everything perfectly that we could not do. Jesus is the second Adam. The first Adam failed. He's the second Adam, the separate, second representative of humanity. Uh, Israel failed. Jesus is the true Israelite that fulfills all of God's commands and all of God's law and all of God's will. He is the fulfillment of it all. And so God is saying, this is him. This is the one that I've been talking to. And listen to what the command is. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. That is what you need more than anything. You need to listen to him because we see God with our ears. When the word of God is preached and we listen, we actually develop a vision in our heart of who God is. So when the Bible talks about we see him with the eyes of our heart, we love him with the eyes of our heart, that's what it's talking about. It's about seeing him with our ears, seeing him with the eyes of faith. Now, Peter... Uh, you know, after the resurrection and after many years of doing ministry, he's a lot more sober, a lot more chill. And he writes this in Second Peter. It's going to be up on the screen. Talking about this situation, actually. He says, for we did not follow. Is it up on the screen? Yeah. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He, I saw it. I saw him in his beauty. I was an eyewitness of that majesty, he says. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves, he's talking about his experience in this moment. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. 
And we, and now, so here's what he's saying. We were there, we were with him, we saw his power, we saw his glory, we heard God say, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We saw it with our eyes, with our physical eyes. We're eyewitnesses of this. Now, Peter is saying, you have to, you can't see it with your physical eyes. You have to hear it. And after hearing it, you'll be able to see it with your heart. Look what he says next. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed for which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in the dark place. So here's what he's saying. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He's, what he's saying is, what I saw with my eyes, if you hear with your ears, you can see with your heart. If you listen, if you listen to him. And, and in fact, he says, you can have it more fully confirmed in your heart than even what I saw with my eyes. Look what he says after this. To which you do well to pay attention, listening to him. To which you do well to pay attention as a lamp, lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So what he's saying is you listen, then when you see him, God rises in your hearts. It awakens you to his truth. It awakens you to his reality when you listen to him. And this is what God's instruction was to Peter on the mountain and to us. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. And the more you listen to him, the more you see him. Verse 20 in this passage says this, knowing first of all that no prophecy, listen, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, to have the Word of God and listen to it is just as good as what Peter saw on the mountain. If you will open up your ears... If you will open up your ears and listen to him, you will see him. Part of the reason why you haven't seen him in so long, part of the reason why he seems distant, is because you haven't been listening. Listen to him. Listen to him. So how do we listen to him? This is the only command in the text. Well, first... One, the most primary way that the Bible gives us to listen to him is what you're doing right now. We are instructed to gather with the church, to listen to the scripture read. Paul tells Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. And then he says, after the scripture is read, somebody should exhort and teach so that everybody could see God. So that's what we call preaching. So the, the, the primary way you listen to him is you sit under the preaching of the word. And you let the word talk to you. And as you let the word talk to you, you begin to see him. It's not that everything I'm saying is going to be perfect. But whatever I'm saying that's consistent with this book, if you listen, you will see him. So make your heart attentive. So the first, the primary way in which we listen to him is Lord's Day worship. That's Sunday worship, where we come together, we sit under the preaching of the word, and if you notice, we listen to him, we stand to read the word to listen to him. We have these different prayers and liturgies so that we can listen to him. We preach from the word so that we can hear him. So listen 
to him on the Lord's day. Second, pray and listen. Sometimes we think of pray, prayer as all talking, but a big part of prayer is also listening. So talk to God, but also listen to God. And whatever God is saying to you, by the way, will be consistent with the scriptures. A lot of times people say, well, God told me this and God told me that. And it's all these crazy things that you can't find in the Bible. The way in which you know for sure God is talking to you is what's in scripture, which is why you need to know the scripture so you can discern when God is talking to you and when he's not. Okay? So Lord's Day worship, prayer and listen. Another opportunity. We got catechism. Know what you believe and why you believe it. We go deeper into the scriptures, deeper into the Bible. As you listen to that, you'll get more of a vision for him. And then you could accept his invitation to the word yourself. The Bible does not command us to read the Bible, but there are many invitations to read it. So you can read it for yourself. And uh, if you don't know where to start, just come talk to me. So accept his invitation to listen to the word. And then the final thing I'll say on listening to him is this. Make use of your pastors. You know, uh, for me and Justin, we have spent a good portion of our life studying this book. Not just to gain knowledge, but so that we can teach you the word. Because the only way you're going to see him is when you hear him. And so make good use of your pastors. Not just listening to sermons, but ask questions. And uh, whatever you're reading, whatever you're thinking about, bring that to the pastors. That's what we're here for. All right. So look what happens next. And we are wrapping up, by the way. Um, verse 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. This is actually what happens when we encounter God. You know, all throughout the Bible, when people encounter God in his glory, they fall on their faces. And sometimes they even say, please have mercy on me. Or I, like Isaiah says, I'm a dead man. You see, the reason why is not because God is evil or bad or scary. It's because he's perfect. He's beautiful. He's not corrupted by sin. And that is terrifying to sinners. So they... They fall down on their faces, and they're terrified. And look at verse 7. But Jesus came and touched them. What a powerful image. You see, you have to be terrified by God first. You have to be terrified by his law. You have to be terrified by his power and presence. And then when he reaches down to you with his hand... You'll understand what the gospel is all about once you kept, catch a vision of who, how powerful his glory is. You see, maybe the reason why your heart is not moved by the fact that God has died for your sins is because you don't know who God is. He's powerful. He's glorious. He's perfect. He's good. He's just. And you don't deserve him. But he's had mercy. And this is the picture. He reaches down his hand and he says, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. I know you're terrified, but you don't have to be afraid. Look at this, verse 8. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. In other words, the cloud disappeared. Moses and Elijah disappeared. 
and there was just Jesus. God is saying, look at Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Listen to him and you will see him. God is saying, all Moses and Elijah, these are just servants of Jesus. The three disciples are there. They're just servants of Jesus. But Jesus only is what this whole thing is all about. So if you feel disenchanted with Christianity, you feel disenchanted with the church, that's fine. So do I. But it's all about Jesus. I can tell you this. I would definitely not be a pastor anymore if it wasn't for Jesus. It's Jesus that keeps me hanging on. And the same for you. The only way you're going to continue on in the Christian life is if you get a vision of his power and glory that captures your heart. And that's what will lead you on. That's what will move you into the future with him. You have to see him with your ears. And that's what God is saying. He's commanding, listen to him, listen to him, listen to him, listen to him. And when we listen to him, we start to see him. So Jesus and the disciples begin, they leave this place after this incredible event, and they come down the mountain. And one of the things that we know as they come down the mountain is he's not just coming down the mountain after this glorious vision that they saw, but he's coming down the mountain to go to Jerusalem. He's coming down the mountain to go to the cross. He's coming off the mountain of glory to go down to the mountain of Golgotha where he'll suffer. Look what he says to the disciples. As they were coming down the mountain, verse 9, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. So this is what Jesus is saying as they come off the mountain. After they just saw his power and glory. They said, I thought uh, Elijah had to come first. And Jesus says, oh, he did. John the Baptist is the Elijah that was to come. And he made things straight by pointing to me. Okay? But then as they come off the mountain, he says, but I still have to die. You would think if they saw this power and glory, oh, good, we we don't got to go the route of the cross anymore. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to have to suffer. John suffered. I'm going to have to suffer. You're going to have to suffer. And so he comes down off the mountain, headed to the cross. Comes off the mountain of glory to go down to the hill outside of Jerusalem. And I've actually been there uh, in Jerusalem. There's a bus depot there now. They park buses where Jesus died. It's this little hill right outside of Jerusalem. It does look like a skull. He comes off the mountain of glory to go down to the mountain of shame to die for us. And as he's dying on the cross, he says, it is finished. Listen to him. Listen to him. If you want a vision of his glory, you've got to listen to him. And he says, it is finished. Everything that you'll ever need, it is finished. He has accomplished it on the cross. And not just anybody has accomplished it, but the God of glory that they saw on the mountain has accomplished it. Do you see him? Listen closely. 
the God of glory will also come down off the mountain into your soul, into your heart if you listen. This is the good news of the gospel, that the God of power has had mercy on us. One thing that we do every week is we remember our Lord Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper. And today when we go to the Lord's table, I want you to think about the God of glory that is represented in the bread and wine. The bread represents the fact that he is the beloved, perfect son of God, the perfect human, the perfect Israelite, the second Adam. The cup represents that the father is well pleased with his offering. He died, the cup represents his blood, and the father is well pleased with him and well pleased with his offering on our behalf to forgive our sins. So in light of that, in just a moment, we're going to come to the table and remember our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, come to the table to remember his power and glory. And, you know, I've been saying this whole time, listen to him. We listen through the text, but we also listen to him here at the table. The table, these are visible words. Augustine used to say they're visible words.